0: You're listening to Spiderweb Salons podcast, where we talk to poets and authors about writing, being a writer, and having ideas. Thank you for listening. Today, we're here with Colin Winnett from San Francisco. He's the author of five books, including Haint Stay and the SPD bestseller Coyote. Coyote was listed as a 2015 Best Book of the Year by Flavorwire and the Washington Independent Review of Books, and Haint Stay was on the Best Books list from Flavorwire, Lit Reactor, Large Hearted Boy, Slate, and Vice. His short work has appeared in numerous anthologies and journals. Today, Colin will be reading from his book, The Animals, which was the finalist for the Cleveland State University Poetry Center's 2015 Book Award.
1: This will be about love. A house need only walls and a roof, or no roof and no walls. I was thinking about how big a fish might get if it lived in the ocean and never saw another fish or any coral or anything. It would get bigger than the visible continents. It would get bigger than any number of real actual stars. It would grow until it wasn't a fish anymore. It would grow until it was a monster or until something stopped it. So I decided to build a house and bring everything into the house. You liked the idea about the house and everything and decided we could make it work. You were confident in our abilities. We aren't accustomed to failure. We built the house out of red stone. you said you found near the water. You said I couldn't see the water. You said it would be ours one day, but that you couldn't show it to me. So I suspected on some level that you were a murderer. You have six lambs. You've shown me over and over how well you can let them live. They eat the grass in your hands, but you're pretty much all grass anyway. So it wasn't a real loss. Not really. You were always tender. You called me baby before we'd ever even seen a baby. It was a sound in your throat like a red stone and it hit me like a physical thing. Baby was like a physical thing. Then we had actual babies, all grass like you and your father and just there like me and mine. Our house wasn't crowded until the babies came and kept coming. I worried about how big the babies would get if they just kept coming like that, bigger than an enormous fish in an endless ocean. So I plugged up every hole in the house with cotton We couldn't hear the babies crying. We couldn't hear the lambs either. Everything started dying. Everything was turning to bones. A train passed only a few inches from the house. You showed no sign of concern because everything was full of cotton and silent. I decided to not just be there anymore. I took the boat from the boat rack. The house was so full of bones, I could just climb into the boat and start paddling. I parted the bones with the boat's wedge and plowed through into the bedroom. I'm going, I said. And you didn't look up i stirred the bones with the oar and plunged and plunged until i was in moonlight moonlight all around so much so that everything looked dead the bone, bones clicked like insects hooray i told the insects we're free you're in the boat you're all wet you're telling me it almost drowned you to get here and that the world looks bleaker than ever before we'll make something i say and you ask what and i say a fire We're afloat on a bed of bones, just warming ourselves by a fire we made on the boat. The bones hate the fire, and they shrink from it until they are completely gone. The boat knocks against the stone beneath us. It is a red stone. We haven't gone anywhere at all. You fucked it all up, we say. We're in a boat on a stone, and it feels biblically large. There's no end to it. I know it because I went looking and found nothing. I tell you, we just don't have anything anymore, not like before. You tell me I have a dated sense of what it means to lose something. But I went looking, and there was nothing. You say that just isn't true. It's awful to talk like this, so I start yelling and tearing at the wood of the boat. I dig with my nails. I dig little canoes into the soft wood. Then the boat's like you, all blood and splinters. Then the dinner bell rings. At the table, we're swatting moths. The points of our forks are carefully placed. You left a light on and the door open, you say. We're lecturing one another and pressing our ankles together under the table. Our friends have always liked how we get along. We have been referred to as an institution. We have been referred to as nightmarishly perfect. We have been referred to as disgusting and embarrassing. We have felt disgusted and embarrassed of one another. We have been referred to as unforgettable. I forget all the ways we have been referred to. You make a list. You show it to me. It is of every species of moth in the house, so I tip over the table and go looking for the boat. I go looking forever. I call it exercise. It's an idea you like that I'm caring for myself, that I seem to understand the effects. All the pantries are open. All the animals and insects are opened and pinned to blocks. You join me and we break all of the stairs in the stairwell until we are stuck. It's always the case that we wind up doing these things together. Each breath is like a thread pulling at something deep within the other. We did not ask for this. We did not work the thread into place. I was only needling you. You were just grass. Then you were on fire. It spread quickly. The news that you were burning, that you were going, that you were dying, that you would be gone. We got letters and all kinds of packages that you couldn't go near because you would destroy them. I burned myself trying to hold you. You were too hot to handle we started a 50 styles 50s style rock band for weeks we looked for a lead singer a shark kept calling he told us he would be good a shark was all i had to say you just kept burning and waiting and burning until the shark finally arrived at our home he was missing most of his teeth from fighting he explained people i sympathized i let him into the band people fight dirty We were very famous for a brief period of time. All the birds gathered at the windows to watch us practice. One time the shark hit a high note and a robin popped. There were feathers everywhere. More feathers than could possibly have come from a single bird. You burned them up when they came near you. The shark was always hitting on you and right in front of me. But I couldn't bring myself to fight him. Nothing would ever come of it. The fighting or the flirting. How could it? You were just a fire after all. Then you weren't a fire anymore. Just like that. You'd taken most of the air inside the house. You'd eaten all the wood. You weren't selfish, but you had substantial needs. I'd like to think I gave as much as I could. I know I was at my wit's end. The funniest part is that the firefighters suddenly showed up. After all that time, hundreds of them. They wore the hats that firefighters wear and ran in a line, lifting their legs out in front of them. They moved around the house looking for you. When they found you, they didn't recognize you. You weren't a fire anymore. You were you. Collectively, they scratched their heads. We've never seen anything like it, they said. And I was so, 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 so proud. We are survivors, you tell me. We are in bed in our home made of the red rocks that you found. Tell me more, I say. We've lived through everything on this list. And you show me the list and it is quite long. It is a list of everything we've done together. It is of the things we might one day do together and the things we will never do together. Each part is of equal length, so I insist that you've fudged it. You assure me you fudged nothing. Firefighters are still milling around outside. There is a faint tap every time they peek in the window, their hats against the glass. All the tapping sounds like rain, or it is raining. It is really raining. The house is flooded. We are lifted up by the actual real water, and our bed is swept out from under us. Survivors, you say. It's an island we end up on. The two of us, a few of the firefighters, some birds. They're so on it. They build a bunch of little birdhouses in the trees. Everything is colorful and seems easy. You drink water from a coconut you cracked in two with a beach stone. I have always admired your ingenuity, your healthy appetite. If you were hungry enough, you would eat me. You love yourself severely, which makes me love you even more. It's the kind of thing I try to say to you over and over again until the words lose shape and there are no parts to get right. They fall from my lips, tongue and cheeks and chunks. You speak from the back of the throat, you say, and you have me say my own name. Then you say exactly and tell me it's okay and the way everything the babies ever did was okay. We are learning what our bodies can do. I built you a goddamn ship of steel, I planted it before you like an award. It was nothing like our island. It was of a single color. It was without firefighters or birds. I told you to get on the goddamn ship of steel that I had built with my bare hands and my brilliant mind. It is rickety and slow, I declared proudly.
0: Hey, Colin, thank you for joining us today.
1: Hey, Courtney, how's it it going?
0: a wonderful reading. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me a little bit about this piece? where where it came from in your brain.
1: Sure. <laughs> um, so this I read the uh, opening of a long poem called The Animals. And uh, it came from, it was sort of a love letter. Um, and it was one of those things where I read a book by uh, this poet, Sasha Fletcher, as I was riding the train, uh, to my studio in Chicago and I had just the night before fallen in love and I was feeling very, just, you know, that sort of intense like um, animation that you feel mm-hmm. um, after reading a book that you really love and also falling in love um, sort of simultaneously and so then I sat down in my studio and just started writing it, and that that weird little note about like uh, this house, or a house will have a house needs only a roof and walls, or no walls and no roof. Um, that was like a note to myself when I first started writing it, being like, "This is so what you you're start doing. with like a line." Yeah. <laughs> it's like this is my project, <laughs> and then I started writing like that's in italics, and I originally like attributed it to someone else that was fake um, because it was really just a note to myself to be like, "This is what you're doing," and uh, so I was channeling all of that sort of weird intense energy and also this book that i had just read um and it was the kind of thing where it was happening so quickly that i knew i couldn't leave so i just wrote the whole poem in the studio then and have since worked on it but like it was i knew that i had to finish it in that go or i would lose this sort of weird tack of like uh, slippery language that was happening yeah you know?
0: what was your process of harnessing that emotion like d- did you <laughs> did you keep it around for a while was the editing process was it still there
1: um I and mean, the editing process was really just like i showed it to the first thing i did was send it to the girl who it was to and it was like is this does this make you think that i'm a crazy person and she was <laughs> like no oh, i really like it. you know i wouldn't change anything and then i was like okay well I send it to someone else who knows why I should change it, but then she actually gave me good notes on it. Um, I mean, the editing process was very was very lean. Um, I just like kept showing like whenever somebody would come back with like a lot of notes, I'd be like, just read it like three more times and then tell me if you really think I should change it in all of these ways. And then it would eventually be like, oh, okay. Like I see that it's supposed to feel so terrible. It's supposed to be terrible. It's a problem.
0: Is that is it similar to your usual process when you're sitting down to write something, whether it be, you know, a collection of poems Mm -hmm. or or a novel or stories?
1: I mean, I think it's this was one of the ones uh, where it's the sort of dream situation where you have like the energy is there for you and you can stay with it or you can decide to go eat a sandwich. And more often than not, like the decision to go eat a sandwich is less clear. I just go eat the sandwich. Um, and this time I was just like, I'm just going to eat a sandwich after I finish. Um, so it's not so that, you know, you go back and forth. Like I live every day hoping that when I sit down that there'll be a similar feeling like this. And sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't.
0: And, um, it's, it's very narrative. Mm -hmm. What, what made you decide that these need to be poems as opposed to this needs to be a story or this needs to be a book, a novel?
1: I mean, it's a really good question. Um, the, the, so I showed it to a teacher at the time and he was like, if you, i was like how do i send this out like how do i like announce this to people because it doesn't it's not like a like if i call it a book of poems that creates some a certain like concept of it but if i call it fiction then people will start placing certain demands on it that i think that like this doesn't um isn't interested in um and so a poem made like a like a like poetry made more sense for the way of thinking about it um and then he was like well, just call it like a prose poem in a prose poem novella and free verse and I was like well I'm never going to write that down <laughs> like in any kind of cover letter but um but it's true that makes sense like that's a way of thinking about it that I I agree with you know
0: yeah and do you have when you when you sit down to work on something mm-hmm. is it like I have the story from start to finish that needs to be told or is it something that kind of reveals itself to you like what it, what is that process
1: like 100% reveals itself okay yeah I mean although like it's a weird thing um with so we're working on a novel right now and i normally every every other novel i've written has been like the same thing or the the same kind of experience of writing down with this like intense energy and then just sort of seeing where it takes me and this one i did that once and then i was like this is too complicated for it to be done and also like sort of i'm breezing through some areas and really laboring others and like it just feels uneven and like there are too many moving parts that I haven't given like sort of attention to, so now I'm rewriting it, and it's really helpful to have this sort of outline of the first draft um, to rewrite. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've never done that before. Um, but with this with with this particular piece and with poetry in general, I always feel like I have the opportunity to pivot in in any possible direction that I want, and that's what I want for the novels too. But it feels uh, l- l- like. Like there's a certain amount of responsibility to what's come before that must be paid unless I'm like writing this entire, uh, unless I have found a way to write another book where I can keep writing. Like yeah, off it's in it's a one thing directions. to change a yeah. poem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this yeah. poem
0: is now going in this direction. It's mm-hmm. a totally another thing to be like, and now this book is a totally different <laughs> thing.
1: Well, I feel like poetry sort of invites that and like almost needs that, you know, you mm-hmm. can't just sit down and write about a particular thing. Uh, and just keep kind of circling it. Like you need to sort of make those associative, strange leaps into new directions and new sounds. Um, and that's kind of the joy of poetry. And like I've written books or novels where I felt like I could get away with that and by pulling certain sort of like formal tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done that maybe too many times now. And I mean <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you ever had a project that started out as a poem mm-hmm. and then turned into a novel?
1: Never a novel, um, certainly short stories. Yeah. Yeah
0: um what how do you what is how do you pinpoint the difference between like when you start working on something what what it's going to become do you sit down and you're like i'm in a poetry mood now <laughs> um or like what what is that
1: like uh, i think i used to do that a little more um and now i don't really do it i mean i think the thing um that sort of decides it is uh line breaks and also um whether or not i'm concerned with crafting a narrative you know like i mean ultimately everything i've written has been narrative to some degree but like how concerned i am with narrative at the forefront sort of directs whether or not i'm thinking about it in terms of a poem or a short story or a novel yeah
0: may i ask you about your um your physical process of writing like where (laughs) where do you go um like in your in your home or Mm -hmm. elsewhere and like where 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 is your where's your mind when you when you get in that place like do you Mm -hmm. have like a a ritual or like a preparation that you have to do
1: no ritual no preparation (laughs) um I mean it changes you know there were certain with certain projects there were certain things that worked and I did them as much as I could until I got tired of them but I think it's always this thing of uh of tricking your brain into focusing and to sort of creating that space and that time for yourself and so now in our house we have this study that I use for the most part and it's like every time I'm supposed to be writing I go in the study and I close the door but this last weekend my wife Andy who actually the animals was written for um left and I just started writing in the kitchen because I was like every time I go in the study I just feel this weird like sort of dead feel or just like routine feel so I just started going into the kitchen and putting on that's where the record player is and I would put on records and just kind of like walk around little laps in the kitchen knowing that (laughs) that Andy was not going to come in at any moment and the cat was only going to maybe come in but like certainly wouldn't be able to find its way into my lap so like that was great um and so I could just have that kitchen space and so that worked for like the last three days but now here I'm in Texas and I'm gonna have to come up with something else to do
0: (laughs) (laughs) sit down and write in a bar yeah probably (laughs) Um, how do you how do you deal with writer's block?
1: Um
0: Do you do you force yourself to seek inspiration or uh,
1: this is probably a lame thing to say. I think that um like when I feel blocked, it's typically because I'm bored and not because I don't have anything in the the well, you know? Um so I don't know if I've ever quite experienced writer's block in the way that I've heard it described by some people where there's just literally nothing. Um, I think it's always been a matter of like having some kind of weird of a boredom with the thing I'm working on or a sense of sense of expectation of what I should be working on. And if I can find my way around those things, then gen- generally there's something to work with. And it doesn't mean it's going to be good, but at least mm-hmm. like it like excites me enough to, to work for a while.
0: Yeah. Where where do your ideas come from? <laughs> how do they how do they strike?
1: I don't know, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's a real that's a real uh, conflict in my life. I think <laughs> to go from like explain anything.
0: explain yourself.
1: I just I remember like uh, constantly having the experience of of all meet people in a social s- situation and then they'll read like a book of mine and they'll be like, I had no idea that you were an insane, dark, terrible person. <laughs> um and it's like oh i just that's the way i'm feeling most of the time <laughs> <Like those are laughs> i'm sorry if i'm nicer in um the, in the conversations we've had but i'm also thinking about like our ears being ripped off
0: do you relate to being that insane dark terrible person <laughs> is that no. the thing that you ever feel
1: like- i feel like i don't um i don't i don't i'm not like a violent person but i think i'm drawn i write about violence a lot and i'm not particularly like um you know like depressed person even though i do feel sad a lot and mm-hmm. do think about like the sadnesses of my my life and the people's lives around me and those things a lot um and so for me it never feels like it just feels like um that's just the way life is you know and it's like not good or bad but it just feels um like those elements are just always at play and like we're surrounded by these terrible things
0: yeah <laughs> i mean, and you yeah. and you mentioned the violence um uh-huh. ha- hate stay is yeah. um is incredibly violent, like uh-huh. one of your more violent pieces. Right. Um, where where is that drawn from? Like, did you set out to make this book that was going to make people like cringe no, when they read it? No, no, so far <laughs>
1: from it. I mean, like, I'll come back to that in a second. But I did have this experience with the with that book where, for the launch of it, we I invited like um, fifteen of my friends in San Francisco to read just fifteen or twenty pages of the book and then uh we did this like campfire retelling of it where everyone told their section from memory and we kind of like created this new like told the book all the way it was it was a good (laughs) idea but it was a lot for an audience who hadn't read this book to sit through um but it was fun to do and but the thing that everyone was retelling their sections i was just like holy shit this is a really violent book i had no idea like i i mean i knew that there was violence in it but i had every single person who spoke was like, and then this person dies and then this person dies and this person gets hurt in this super brutal way. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess it's very full of violence. Um, but when I was writing it, I never thought I'm going to set out to write a violent book and I'm going to try and make it difficult for people to read. I just said, I, that, that I was writing about two people who, whose lives were very violent. And so that was going to be the sort of foundation for them. And then I would build a story around that, but it was just sort of a given that they were going to live violent lives. And, I knew that I wanted to write violence in in a number of different ways in the book. So it wasn't just the same kind of thing over and over again. So sometimes the violence is sort of silly and sometimes it's a little more brutal. And sometimes there's these like sort of physical brutal things that are happening that aren't really violence. They're sort of treated as like, um, almost like religious rites or whatever and, uh, or ceremonies. And, um, and those, those have been things that people have responded where, to.
0: Where do you pull those moments from? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. I don't
1: know. I mean, there's a lot about teeth in the book, and I think it's because I have, like, I'm very aware of my own teeth and I'm very <laughs> nervous about them. So I think about them all the time as these, like, parts of me that are oh, working God. their way out the, of my skull. The
0: teeth and the dirt. Yeah. Is so good. It's, I have nightmares about it. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Um, cool. So so we're unfortunately short on time yeah. today, but mm-hmm. um, I, I want you to have a moment if you wanna tell people kind of what you're up to um, out in the world, like where we can find your adventures and, mm. and what's next. Um, you've, got, you've got a book, books coming out, right?
1: um no so nothing in so i have uh translations of haint stay and coyote coming out and then i'm working on a new novel and i've been uh i have this collection of short stories that i'm trying to figure out what to do with um and there's um let's see there's a a, san francisco based tech company called <laughs> tapas that is releasing all of my books in like bite-sized forms uh in this they're for their new app tapastic so all the books will be available through that <laughs> weird um, yeah it's, it's it's interesting like they're they're it's a cool model but yeah it is it is a strange development um and yeah there we'll see what goes on what happens okay. with that um and then i'm doing some events just in san francisco and shit and then
0: and touring in europe going, you know, then whatever going to, no big deal going to europe <laughs> for a while
1: <laughs> Uh, that'll be cool, but you know these uh, the listeners won't be able you've, to. Come you've to got that. a website. Got a website. Colin,
0: Colin Wynette maybe.
1: Colin dot net. Dot net I had.com okay. for a while and then an insurance salesman snaked it out from under me. And uh, a month of
0: lapsing. <laughs> and you have a very entertaining uh Twitter feed. I sure just do. the most mundane, <laughs> horrific shit. Yeah. Um I I love it though. Oh, I'm personally you. a fan. Toss some um, likes my way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us hey, today. This was excellent. Um we'll talk soon. Yeah, see you outside. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Spiderweb Salon's podcast. I'm Courtney Marie, and this has been a Pariah Production.